Scripture reading is Acts 2, 22 through 47. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracle, wonder and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourself know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge for you. With the help of the wicked men, put him to death by nailing him onto the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for the death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and with my tongue rejoice. My body will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with the joy in your presence. Brother, I can tell your confidence that the patriarch David died and was buried, and in his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead of him, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ that he did not abandon to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnessing the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved.
As we go to the word of God together, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we believe in the Holy Spirit that you poured out so long ago on those who believed in Jesus Christ. We have come together to worship Christ, persuaded that he is your son, that he is the living God who died in our place. And so we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to the truth of your word. Lord, let us believe it. Let us love it. Let us live it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I asked Kevin and DRC to read that passage from the book of Acts because it shows exactly how God works, both in the ancient church and today in our church. And I want to begin this morning talking to you a little bit about fellowship. Fellowship is a kind of strange word. I don't think it's used outside of church with one notable exception, and that would be in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Even there, it's a little strange. Fellowship is a word that it sounds kind of churchy, but it's a good word. Fellowship is something that's deeper than casual friendship. Fellowship is a word that describes family at its best. And in fact, if you think for a second about family at its worst, fellowship is what keeps people who are struggling together. We enjoy fellowship with family in good times. We enjoy fellowship with school friends. Our veterans enjoy fellowship with their fellow veterans. In fact, many vets are united by common service and some of the terrible things that they saw actually drove them closer together. We enjoy fellowship with some of our neighbors who have lived with us. And fellowship ought to be true of the church, and it can be, but it isn't always. So we read in Acts chapter 2 how over 3,000 people heard the message that Jesus is the Messiah and they missed it. That he was the one who came to save and unite God's people and instead of welcoming him, they crucified him. And so you saw that moment where they realized with horror their guilt and they were cut to the heart and said, what do we do? And Peter replied to him, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. And, and he makes it clear, he says, they need to save themselves from that generation that was going to be judged. Jesus prophesied that, that Jerusalem was about to be destroyed, and it was. 70 AD, exactly what Jesus described came true. And yet they saved themselves when they believed that Jesus died in their place and rose from the dead. And Acts chapter 2 describes how they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and prayers. So there are four things in that list. But I want to point out first that they 
devoted themselves to those things. They made a decision. They said, we will do these things. See, fellowship is not something that comes easy. If you think about a marriage relationship and the fellowship that a husband and wife have, they take vows together so that in sickness and in health and in all of the good things and bad things that come in the course of life, they commit to remain together. They make the commitment because life is difficult. And if they did not commit, they would not remain in fellowship. And so the church is devoted to teaching, to praying, to breaking bread. The phrase breaking bread probably refers to communion, to remembering the death of Jesus. And those are the things that I believe most deeply united them into fellowship. Doing those things together takes effort. It doesn't happen accidentally. There are things that threaten fellowship. There are ways that it can go wrong. Christian fellowship is different than any friendship or family in the world because Christian fellowship is created by what Jesus did for each of us. The church exists because Jesus came to save sinners. He died for us and rose from the dead, and we gather to worship Him because we are trusting in Him for the forgiveness of sins. We believe what He says when He says to us, If you believe in Me, you will be saved. Because we are together coming, admitting that we are guilty sinners and that God forgives our sins, that faith unites us. We recognize that there is forgiveness not just for me, but also for you. And so as we come together as a group of people, we ought to forgive one another because of God forgiving us. Not only does God forgive our sins, He welcomes us into His family. A few months ago, we we looked at a book by Tim Keller, on the prodigal son story. Or maybe more accurately, Keller entitled his book Prodigal God because prodigal just means extravagantly, recklessly generous. And in that story, you see the father willing to let his younger son go and then welcome him back into the family as a son, and to throw an extravagant party in spite of all that the son had done. And when his older son leaves the feast and and he will not come in, the father goes out to him and asks him to come and to be reconciled and to be part of the joy of the father's house. And Keller said something so profound that I believe is absolutely what you and I should take away from that story. That in reality, what should have happened And in fact, what did happen for us is that the Father sent His Son into the world to rescue us while we were still living in sin. And the Son came and paid all of our debts, and our debt was so great that it cost Him His life. And the reason He did that 
was so that we could know the joy of the Father and be welcomed into the feast. And the great news of Christianity is that Christ our brother is raised and the Father's house is full of joy and we are welcomed into it. So we don't meet together as a group of people just constantly in tears because of our guilt and the cost of our salvation. We come together as a group of people full of joy because God has forgiven us and he's changing us so that we don't remain the sinners we once were. And we look forward to a future that is full of joy and full of feasting as we forever praise God for his greatness and what he's done and as we continue to enjoy the richness of his good creation for all of eternity. That's what creates Christian fellowship. It's forgiven future hope. And so as a church, we gather together, having been forgiven, awaiting that future joy. You see throughout the New Testament what that fellowship looks like as the church waits for the return of Jesus. Because we live in a place where the joy is not present always we get little tastes of it we get a little glimpse of it here and there but terrible things happen again and again and so our joy is not full yet we live in anticipation and the new testament shows how the church lived in anticipation fellowship in the bible means having a place in part of God's family. And God's family, as you see it in the New Testament, is both local, so there are local churches, but there's also the expectation that it's global. So you see fellowship in the local church as the church spends time together. They actually tried to see each other daily. It doesn't mean that they had a worship service every day, but it describes how they met together from house to house for the purpose of prayer and for the purpose of encouragement. Many of them did not know very much about Jesus, especially as the good news of Jesus spread across the ancient world to places like Greece and then later Rome. Those people had never heard much of the Old Testament, and so they met together to learn, to be educated in what God had said in the past so that they could fully understand who Jesus was and what he would do. So teaching was so important because they understood their sins could be forgiven, but they needed to know who God was. The church experienced persecution and problems and trials. And so they met together for prayer, asking God for power and strength and for help. Jesus had left the church with a mission to spread the good news all over the world. And it's a mission that we can't accomplish on our own. And so they met together for prayer to ask for help to accomplish the mission that Jesus had given them. But not only do you find fellowship around those things, around teaching and around prayer but you find a fellowship that includes financial sharing. In fact, the word fellowship is the same word that Paul uses when he describes the way the Philippians supported his ministry. He said, you entered into fellowship with me. And what he's talking about is that they sent him money so that he could be more devoted to preaching and teaching. And not only is it financial support of the work of the ministry, it's financial support for those who lack what they need materially. One of the things that Paul does as he goes and spreads the good news of Jesus is 
there's a prophecy in the book of Acts that there's going to be a famine in Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem is the place where the church first started. And so all of these people understand they have a relationship with this church. This is where people left so that the gospel could go to places like Corinth and Philippi and the ancient cities of the New Testament world. And in a sense, they had a debt to that church because that church sent out the first missionaries. And so when there's this prophecy that there's going to be a famine, they understand that the church in Jerusalem is going to be on hard times. The price of food is going to be enormously high. People are going to suffer. And so what Paul does is he tells the churches that he has started, your brothers and sisters, the family that you are part of, you've never met them, but the family that you are part of in Christ Jesus has a need. And because you owe them, you ought to help them financially. And so the financial giving for hungry people was part of Christian fellowship. They shared material resources to meet each other's needs. And you also see that at the local level in, in the gospel, or sorry, in the book of Acts, that the church shares things so that someone who is in need does not lack basic necessities and someone who has an, abend- an abundance doesn't have too much. Instead, they share, they have things in common. Physical families do this. You know, kids do it to their parents a lot. You you call your parents when you have a bill that you can't pay because you've got a good feeling they're your best bet for getting help. And if they say no, then you look down the list of aunts and uncles. If it's really bad, you eventually go to cousins. Family is our first line of defense as a culture. But in the church, we have a fellowship that's actually deeper than physical blood family. And so the fellowship that the church has includes things like teaching and prayer, but it also includes things like me helping you when you have a need, and you helping me when I have a need. And there's no shame because we're family, and we want to help each other out. This is what Christian fellowship is in the New Testament. But I've already suggested that that fellowship does not happen accidentally, And in fact, there are things that hinder it, that hurt it. So I want to spend the rest of our time together this morning talking about how that fellowship is created and what we can do to not only maintain our fellowship as a church, but what we can do to grow our fellowship as the church. Because I believe what we saw in the book of Acts is still possible When the message of Jesus is proclaimed, God works, and God still saves people. And you might be discouraged and feel like it's impossible, but nothing is impossible with God. And so I want to look at the first letter that the Apostle John wrote. And I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to 1 John. If you didn't bring one with you, that's fine. You can use your phone. Just Google 1 John. You'll find something. You pull it up. Or there are Bibles around you in the room here. Grab one from under a chair in front of you. I want to encourage you to read along with me, and I want to point out some things that the Apostle John wrote. And some of you may remember, it was nearly four years ago, that I preached a message from 1 John. And this is the same passage that I preached then, and I would like to revisit it now, so that we as a church can be united 
by how God creates fellowship in people. So 1 John chapter 1, read with me verses 1 through 4, and I'll take just a verse at a time and talk about it. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I believe that there are three ways that we promote fellowship as a church. And I want to give them to you now and then go through and see them in our text this morning. The first way that promotes fellowship is when we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you understand that we don't come together as a bunch of people who are already good, we come together as a bunch of guilty sinners who admit that we are bad. But by the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus, we are forgiven and cleansed, and we are becoming more and more like Jesus, so that we sin less and less. And one day, when we see Jesus face to face, either when He calls us home and we die, or when He returns, one day, we will never sin again. That creates fellowship because we share a common forgiveness. There's no place for pride. Pride ruins fellowship. Nobody likes being around an arrogant person. But the gospel destroys pride because you have to recognize your own sin in order to trust that Jesus died for you. If you're already perfect, he didn't need to do that. But when you recognize what he did and why he did it, you have to be humbled as you come before him. So the first way that God creates fellowship, that God creates the church, is by believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what you saw happening In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, what Kevin and D.R.C. read. The second thing that builds fellowship is remembering Jesus' death in communion. That's why the church was devoted to the breaking of bread. That's why we are commanded to do this until Jesus comes. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10... Paul describes the cup of blessing that we bless, the little cup of juice that we use to remember Jesus' blood. Paul says, it is fellowship in the blood of Christ. It's the exact same word for fellowship that we read throughout the entire New Testament. It means you are sharing in what he did for you, and you are sharing it with your fellow church members. Paul says the bread that we break, is it not fellowship in the body of Christ? Same exact word. So the second way that we 
maintain fellowship is not just by a moment of believing, but by regular remembering. You see, it's possible to have your sins forgiven, to say, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, and yet you have a little poison seed of pride that gradually grows. And so you become the kind of Christian that no one wants to be around. The phrase holier than thou comes to mind. You know, you, you dress a certain way, you act a certain way, you swear like Mary Poppins. You become a sort of person that can be very judgmental because you are proud. Well, you know what remembering the body and blood of Jesus does for you when you come back to communion? It doesn't save you again. You're already saved. What it does is it should humble you again. Because you recognize that you regularly need to be confronted with the reality of what Jesus is doing in you through the ongoing work of the gospel. The gospel is not just good news for people that don't know Jesus. The gospel is great news for people who already do. And as we remember the body and blood of Jesus in communion, we are again confronted with the gospel so that we are humbled. So that our fellowship is not destroyed by our own pride that that just seems like a weed that constantly wants to grow back no matter how many times you kill it. So we obey the Lord Jesus and remember what he did for us. And that's one reason we do this once a month. Because we want to remember the grace of God that was given to us in the cross of Christ. If you have been forgiven and you remember that, then you recognize that you must also forgive. Physical families always have problems. And the church always has problems. And so forgiveness is the constant need of the church. For us to be forgiven again when we sin by God. And for us to forgive each other when we sin against each other in the church. And the third way that God creates and builds fellowship is through the proclaimed word of God. That's why all over the world, every church that meets, it doesn't matter if it's in China or Africa, it doesn't matter where, everywhere the church meets, They look at the scriptures together and someone will proclaim the word who has studied it and prepared it so that they can speak to the church. The fellowship of God's people always comes as a result of God speaking his word. He spoke his word in Christ Jesus and he speaks through the Holy Spirit as we look to the scriptures again and again. So notice how John says this. Now that I've given you the three ways that I believe fellowship is created and maintained and built, look again with me at 1 John. And look just at verse 1. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. This is the eternal word. John's gospel opens and says, The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the eternal Son. He has no beginning, and He has no end. He is God from God. He is equal with the Father. He Himself said so. 
And yet, stunningly, John says, they saw him. For thousands of years of human history, no one had seen him. And yet at Christmas time, he was born as a little baby. He took on flesh and blood so that we could know the Father that no one had ever seen. And John testifies that he was a real person. He stresses, we heard his voice. We saw him with our eyes. We even touched him with our hands. You can think of that moment at the end of John's gospel where the apostle Thomas says, I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless I can put my hand in his side and unless I can touch the nail prints and know that he's the same person that we really saw crucified. And Jesus appears to him and Thomas is able to touch him. John says he's a real person. He really lived. This is not an inspiring story. This is not something we just get excited about because it's like a movie that everyone loves. This is not Casablanca, but the religious version. This is actual history where Jesus was really born and really died. And John says that he himself personally saw it. Not just him, but the other apostles also saw him. It began in eternity. But it was manifest in history. Look at verse 2. He says, The life was made manifest, and we've seen it and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. See, God the Father wants us to know Him. And so He made it so that we could see His Son. And John writes, That because God made it so they could see him, because he was a real person, they were able to say, we know what the Father is like, because the Son was with the Father for all of eternity, and the Father made it so that we could see him and touch him. And so he says, we proclaim to you the eternal life. See, no one in here has ever seen Jesus physically. No one here has ever heard his voice or touched him. Not in a physical way. Jesus is here through the presence of the Holy Spirit, but Jesus is not physically here. And so I believe Jesus still speaks to the church, especially through his word and through the Holy Spirit, but there's a real sense in which we have never seen Christ with physical eyes. And so those who did see Christ with their physical eyes, the first-hand witnesses of his life and death and resurrection, they proclaim, notice what he says, the eternal life. One of the things that we ought to remember as, as we look at John's gospel and as we look at 1 John is how the world began in Genesis. Genesis opens up and it says that God spoke And there was light. And John begins and describes how Jesus is that light. Not the light that's coming from a bulb, but he is the light that comes from the Father. That helps us understand what's true and what's real. And that word that God spoke, that spoke the world into existence. That gave us life, physical life. John says the word is life, and the life is the light of men. The scripture describes you and I 
before Christ as being dead and separated from God. God created us, we had life, and then we sinned and we died. We were alienated and cut off, separated from God. But then the word of life, Jesus, came into the world while we were dead, while we were enemies of God, and the light shone in the darkness. And John says, we saw it. You and I, we were not alive. We could not see it when Jesus was here. But by proclaiming the life of Jesus, by proclaiming what they saw, they proclaimed to us eternal life. Life that comes to dead people to make us alive again. So that we can be right with God. So that we can be forgiven. And we have that life when John and the other apostles told us who Jesus was and what he did. Because we weren't there to see it the first time. And yet the life is still available because they are still proclaiming it through the scriptures. And notice, there is the eternal word and there's the historic witness. Notice what he says in verse 4 about proclamation. He's already mentioned it once in verse verse 3. Excuse me, in verse 3 he says, That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. Why do they proclaim? So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. In other words, there's no fellowship apart from proclamation. When we as a church forget to announce the good news of Jesus, when we fail to invite people to believe and be baptized, fellowship begins to shrivel and die. When we forget the thing that unites us, that is at the heart of who we are and what we do, fellowship can remain, but it becomes superficial and temporary. Because I have fellowship with all kinds of people around things that, that are not that spiritual. I can have fellowship with a guitar player I've never met because we've studied an instrument and we know the great players. In fact, I just discovered yesterday, I did not know, B.B. King has a Christmas album. 36 years of my life, no one told me. But I think about these things because I love great guitar music and I, I love listening to great players play great guitar music. And I can have fellowship with any guitar player. I've got a list of questions that I'll ask. We'll talk instruments. We'll talk tunings. We'll talk techniques. We'll talk favorite players. We'll talk about the styles that we love to play. We'll have fellowship immediately. But you know what? It's not Christian fellowship. And it's good, and I love it. But it doesn't unite me with anybody. In fact, I guarantee you, if you are not a guitar player and you're listening to me have this conversation, your eyes will glaze over and you'll check out. And you'll feel like, when is this going to end? Because you don't share the thing that unites me with another guitar player. And there are all kinds of things, whether, whether it's knitting and crocheting. It, it, there are so many things that you can share with another person that will draw you into having this bond and sometimes in the church, we share a group of songs that we all sang together and we loved. And sometimes we'll share a certain style of music 
Sometimes we'll share certain events or activities or certain ministries. And those are all good things. None of it is bad. And yet, if that becomes the focus of who you are as a church, and you forget the gospel continually creates fellowship and broadens it, and it ought to be open and welcoming to new people, and, and you ought to long to see people you don't know become part of your fellowship. If you forget that, then all you're left is with the crazy guitar conversation that only two people want to be part of. And you look and go, why doesn't anybody else appreciate things I love? Well, because your fellowship isn't founded on the word of God. It's founded on things that you happen to like. And there are only a few people that will like the exact same things that you like. But if your fellowship is founded on the gospel of Jesus and on continuing to hear his word and the proclamation of the word, we can disagree about all kinds of stuff and still have real joy and Christian fellowship. We preach the word because we believe not only are we saved as a result of hearing the gospel, but we are saved and made perfect one day through the work that Jesus does through the Word. I don't believe we're made perfect in this life, but we are made more and more like Jesus as we listen to the Word of God. And that's why we are devoted to the proclamation. The message has to be proclaimed. But notice, this is not just a future thing, I've talked a little bit about the joy of being with Christ one day and that time when we will never be frustrated or feel guilty because we will be done with sin and we'll be full of joy, we'll be enjoying all of those good things. But the, the fellowship is something that is present. It's something that happens right now. John says, verse 4, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In other words... This fellowship and this joy is something that begins now. This fellowship is so important with other believers here on earth. John says later in this letter, one of the ways you know you're a Christian is if you love church people. And loving church people is a really good indicator because it's hard to do. God Almighty gives us a divine love for him and for each other because all of us come together hearing the proclaimed word, believing the Savior, believing that divine word. And so if you're the kind of person who says, I like Jesus, but I don't like the church, that's a dangerous place to be. We need each other. It's true that like all families, the church can be messy. There will be times that we disagree. There will be times that we sin. But the good news is that God continues to offer us grace and we must continue to offer grace to one another. So the fellowship is not just pie in the sky. It's not just in heaven. It actually begins now. It actually begins here. So how do we do this? Let me go back to the three things that I mentioned at the beginning. Number one, 
This fellowship is created when we believe the gospel of Jesus. I would ask you to examine your own heart. And I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. Sometimes you can be part of a church and enjoy all of the superficial things and the the Sunday school picnics. And none of those are bad. But it's possible to grow up and be part of a superficial fellowship without ever having believed the gospel. If that's all a group of people are, they're not truly a church. And we don't have the kind of fellowship that John is writing. So I want to ask you, and not exempt anyone from this, do you believe that Jesus is your Savior? Have your sins been forgiven? Have you been baptized in obedience to Christ's command, saying, I died with Jesus, and I am raised in new life. I have that eternal life. That's how the church is created, through the gospel. And so I'd ask each of you, do you know for sure that you know Jesus? And if not, I would ask you, before we go down and enjoy food together, I would ask you to come and pray with me before you leave today, and let's talk about baptism. Because we have to be united around the gospel, or we are not a church. Number two, will you deliberately take communion meaningfully as a family? That means you don't just prepare your own heart, just me and God. You also make sure that you are right with the other people of our church. That as you think about the first Sunday of the month, you think, is there somebody that I need to call and apologize to? Is there there anybody that I need to be right with? Am I bearing a grudge against someone else? Because God has forgiven me for so much. I, I can't come worship Jesus at the communion table with sin in my heart. If you are already a believer and you are already part of our church, I want to ask you to commit today to taking communion meaningfully so that you remember how you have a relationship with God through the blood of Jesus. Let me say that if you have a problem with one of God's children, you have a problem with the Father. So let us be faithful to seek real fellowship with each other as we prepare to take communion again and again and again until Jesus comes. The third thing that I want to ask, and I'd like to ask you to do this very specifically, will you commit to listening carefully to God's word? Now, there are a couple ways that you can listen carefully. Some people like to take notes, and that helps them. Some people, it doesn't, and that's fine. Some people struggle to to listen and understand, and if that's you, I would say, we can get you a copy of this on CD. I can give you my sermon notes. You can go on our website and listen to the message again. Listening carefully might mean you need to listen twice. And if I haven't explained something, you can always ask me a question. Maybe I did a bad job, and in that case, I need to say, I'm sorry. And let's look at the scriptures together and make sure that we understand what they mean. But it begins with a commitment to listening carefully to God's word so that we are like the church in Acts, devoted to fellowship, and not fellowship around the goofy things that we all enjoy, but fellowship around the Word of God, and around prayer, and around taking communion together. Will you commit to listening carefully to God's Word? Part of listening carefully means that when your sin is confronted, you will repent. 
You don't just listen to God's word and apply it to other people. You listen to it for yourself. Will you believe God's word as God's word? So that when you come across a passage or a verse and you say, I don't know if that is for today, you'll recognize that God gave his word to the church and that all of it is profitable. And that God does not change. Will you commit to believing God's word as the word of God? And as we close, let me add just one more. Would you spend time together with the people of our church? Some of that can be in casual fellowship. It doesn't all have to be a worship service that's formal like this. But if we don't spend time to each other, we we can't pray for each other. We can't confess our sins to each other and ask for encouragement and help. Would you make an effort to real fellowship both here at our church as we gather together in this building, but also in our homes? And it doesn't need to be organized all the time. Would you make a particular commitment to say, yes, I will spend time with people that also believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that we together can be united? I believe these are the ways that God works. He works through his word. He works through communion. He works through the meeting together of the church, the worship of the church. And I believe that if you are open to receiving the grace of God, God himself will unite us together in this church and our fellowship will grow. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you that you are a joyful father. We thank you that your grace does not change, that 2,000 years after Jesus ascended to heaven, you are still building your church, and you are building it here, and you are building it around the world, and your family is growing. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be open to receiving the grace that you give so freely. Let us be faithful to listen. Let us be faithful to encourage one another, to pray for one another to confess our sins, and to know the joy that comes through your word. I pray that you would continue to bless, that you would bless us in this Christmas season and in the new year, and that you would bless our church so that we would continually praise you. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.